Let's have a day. It is trade deadline season. Does it feel real now? Does it feel it real? real. It feels real. The deals real. were going down yesterday a little bit. We were texting back and forth. The excitement was going a little bit. I felt like uh, I felt like you. Felt like me? Yeah. All over. Like, let's go. This is exciting now. You're, I'm you're not playing. Socials? Now I can look up things left and right and figure things out. Yeah, for sure. It's fun. Todd Father here, Locaine here. Kratzy, it's fun to cover when you don't have to move. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're not, the, you're not the one waiting for a tap on the shoulder. You're not the one that's like, oh, that was my best friend. It's okay. Why did they trade him? I wanted him to stay. Yeah, go. Low, no, no, you know, hugs and it's all good, man. You're going to have a good time in your next spot. Yeah, you know, um, hey, trading is trade. Getting traded is tough, but hey, on to better things. Um, a lot of a lot of big deals happening over the past few days. So I'm excited to get this thing started. Ken Rosenthal is going to join us any wait. moment. Yes. Sorry. Locaine, what do you know about getting traded, man? He you got can... traded once. Zach Granke deal. I got traded. You were, in, you were way down in the bushes, man. That was just like going to another city. You ain't getting, no, you ain't getting <laughs> traded. You don't know what oh. You just console the dude that gets fired because they traded for Cueto and Zobris. Dudes get fired and Locaine's like, hey, hey, enjoy Omaha. All right, my legs are tired. <laughs> i'm done i got nothing to say with that chris <laughs> ken's so. gonna join us in a moment uh we'll have a special segment with former big leaguer jeff fry who doesn't like celebrations and social media is mad about it um we'll get into it don't worry and then lance lynn probably his last conversation with if you want to call us the media um as a chicago white Sox player as he's on the trade block he's gonna get dealt he's a free agent after this year aj casabell will join us in the second hour uh he covers the padres on a daily basis for mlb and the padres potentially could have the two biggest trade chips suddenly which would be a pretty big deal blake snell and josh Hader? you kidding me so we'll see we'll keep an eye on that um and we will start with the i would say double breaking news from yesterday because first, things took over when Tom Verducci came out and said the Angels aren't trading Otani and they're going to add. Let's charge the damn mound about it. Now, he's not the first person that threw that out there. Ken, who we'll talk to in just a moment, also has been saying that pretty much the entire time. Like Ken's going, I don't know if that would be me, but I don't see Otani getting moved. Now, step two, Todd Father, Lucas Giolito joined the party. Reynaldo Lopez joined the party. And they give up essentially their top two prospects for a team that doesn't have much of a farm system. Guess what? There's no tomorrow. Because after this year, <laughs> if Otani's not back, they're probably in a big-ass rebuild mode for your boy Trout because they don't have a ton of great prospects. These two dudes are their top two players in the minor leagues right now. They're both gone. A catcher, I get it. They have one already. Um, and then a pitcher who's had his ups and downs, but they're both super young and they're in double A. And here we go. Does this put them over the top? Are they a playoff team now? Not necessarily, no. <laughs> I, I don't think they are right now just with those trades. I think it's exciting for Anaheim to see. All right, everybody's like, oh, they got to make a move. Well, I personally, I thought they should have traded Otani, man. I, you know, not even necessarily saying, because I always said bring him to the East Coast because I want to see him play more. They are missing out on one of the biggest trade opportunities in this lifetime of getting a plethora. And I mean a plethora of people back, whether it's draft picks, whether it's top prospects, whomever. I, I, don't, I don't think this is what they should have done. I don't think this is going to get them over the hump to win a World Series. Are they going to do more things? I mean, maybe. I think you have to now since you started, but... Eric, for me, I, I I don't know. I'm in between. I I thought they should have. I thought they should have got a bunch of stuff back for Otani. No, they're not going to do it. They're not going to trade him, which I'm fully all in for now. Before I was like, trade that man, get all that haul. Now I love what they did. Get rid of it. What you're not you're not rebuilding with Edgar next year. You're not rebuilding with Kai next year. You know you have two guys. One guy, Edgar's 20 years old as catching position in double a he took a little he took a little slut you know a little step back he had 15 17 pumps last year in high a he's still three years away from being an impact player in the big leagues kai bush tall lefty struggles with command 
Get it. Get rid of them. Play <laughs> okay. for this year. You that's have all they're the playing for. That's yeah, it. that's all they're playing for. And Ken wrote about it too. And Ken Rosenthal joins us right now on FT Live, right at the top here, Ken. So let's get your thoughts right away on the Angels definitely doubling down on no, not trading Otani, letting the world know, and then trading away essentially their two best prospects that are in the minor leagues right now. Well, to me, if they were going to trade Otani, Scott, they should have done it a year ago. And that was the time, and that was when you could have gotten basically the equivalent of the Juan Soto trade that the Padres made with the Nationals. That kind of return that went back to Washington. This year, he's the all-time rental. Yes, I get it, but he's still a rental, and I don't know that the value would have been what you would have determined as reasonable for a player of that caliber. So... I understood what they did with regard to not trading him. I never thought they were going to trade him. Artie Moreno, their owner, never seemed comfortable trading him. We've been talking about this for weeks, and I've been saying that pretty consistently. At the same time, when a team goes for it like this, it's a little bit like, whoa, (laughs) hold on. And I understand they might as well go for it. You're trying to get to the playoffs for the first time since 2014 in perhaps your last chance with both Otani and Trout. You're trying to make an impression on Otani with the hope of possibly re-signing him. If you trade him, you're cutting the cord. That's almost always what happens with free agents who get traded. So I do get it from the Angels' perspective. Do I think it will work? I have my doubts. Hey, Ken. So what I was just saying before, this trade to me doesn't, it's not going to make them win the World Series for one. I, I don't think so. I think they're going to have to do a couple more things. Now, do you, for one, do you see them tra- doing more trades now since this piece has fallen? And two, I, I, I just didn't, I thought they should have traded them. I thought this was a big opportunity for them to get a big kickback. You know, would Trout been mad? Of course. But at the same time, the players they probably could have got back in the draft picks as well would have been unbelievable to me but I, I don't I just I still don't see them as a World Series team it's not about getting to the playoffs it's about winning the World Series at the end of the day no for the Yankees and for the Dodgers and for other teams it's about winning the World Series for the Angels at this point when you have not been to the World Series I mean for the playoffs since 2014 getting to the playoffs would be really good and especially if it somehow manifests in a better opportunity to sign Otani and to keep him They're not ruling that out. They believe it's still possible, and they believe that with the course that they've taken, going back to the offseason, we've talked about this, guys, when they made a lot of moves in the offseason to get better. Then during the season, they've promoted three players from their 2022 draft just this season. Then they traded for Eduardo Escobar and Mike Moustaka. So they have been on this path toward trying to get to the playoffs. That's why trading Otani would have been inconsistent, especially when they're this close right now. Now, is it a great chance? No, it's something like 16% according to Fangraphs. But if you're the Angels and you've got this guy, a historic player who could do historic things this season, it's really difficult to trade him. And that's why, Todd, it was just never really going to be at their forefront unless they totally collapsed. And even then, I don't know that they wanted to do it. Yeah, and I want to clarify. I meant prospects. I know some people, I get I get trolled out there. I meant prospects. Okay, thank not you. Picks, yeah. Not picks. Not picks. <laughs> I get excited. You know how I get. Yeah. That's all good, man. Todd's in, Todd's in fantasy football season a little bit. That's okay. <laughs> Ken, is this, is this more the Angels ruining the market by overvaluing other people? Or is the market being ruined by teams who undervalue what, what it takes to get players? First of all, Eric, I never look at it like <clears> – <throat> one team ruining the market. If one team is willing to pay, that's their decision, and the other teams are just going to have to deal with it. And if it's ruined for them, well, too bad. Maybe you should have made that deal and done it preemptively. But certainly, the price they paid was high. Now, I think it was you, Eric, who made a really good point. The Angels' second and third prospects might not be other teams' second and third prospects, but they still were their number two and three prospects, and they traded them not for two guys who were stars. Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, these are capable major league pitchers, but they're merely capable. I don't know that they're much above that. Giolito maybe, and Lopez maybe too, but let's face it, they're not going to all-star games and doing monstrous things, and they're rentals. So you're trading a potential future catcher 
and a six foot six left-hander who admittedly has had injury problems this year for two months of Giolito and two months of Reynaldo Lopez. If you get there, I don't think anyone cares. And maybe the prospects never make it. We see this all the time, guys. At the same time, the way the game operates right now, the way general managers approach trades, the way teams in general function, this kind of deal is an aberration. It is a high price for a rental, but the Angels, again, are in an extremely unique position, really an unprecedented position in the sports history. When you have a player like this, and you've only got him for two more months potentially, and you want to make sure you take your best shot with him and then perhaps keep him, that's a little bit different than most of the teams are dealing with. I give them credit for being aggressive at the same time. If, say, Blake Snell and Josh Hader suddenly become available, I would have given up my top five prospects if I'm the Angels. I think they would have made a larger impact for them down the stretch and in a playoff run potentially for them. So do you think that they're capable of doing anything else? Because I'm looking from a farm system perspective, and I'm like, you're going to lose out on most trade offers at this point. That's That's step one. Step two, part two of this question for me is, do you think that in their casual conversations, they were like, we're not going to make a trade that is going to like blow up the sport in terms of how many prospects we're going to bring back. So it's not going to look incredible for us. Let's just go for it. And it's a sign of what say teams like the Rays and the Orioles are going to do. They have this discipline meter where they're like, we're not going over it no matter what, even if we think the move could win us a world series. Well, a couple things. One, part of their rationale, from what I understand, is they feared that Blake Snell and Josh Hader would not become available, that Marcus Stroman might not become available with the Cubs on this little bit of a surge here. So they felt that in order to get the pitchers that they wanted or pitchers that they wanted, they had to jump. And that's why with nearly a week before the deadline, they acted in the way that they did. Now, in terms of what they could have gotten back, Scott, it would not have been the same as what it would have been last year. And could it have been two top 100 prospects and maybe a third player, maybe a major leaguer at some level? I assume it could have been. It is Shohei Otani, and for the chance to get him, teams would have moved mountains, so to speak. But at the same time, it's, it's what we just described in reverse. You're trading for prospects, and you've got Otani. And you're Arnie Marino, and you get all this money from Japanese advertisements and merchandise and all these things that you have because you have Otani. You want to play this thing out. And that is the approach that they took. And again, I don't really have much of a fault with them or for doing what they did, this particular deadline. The last deadline, if you really were thinking long-term about your franchise and long-term stability and healthy your franchise, that is when you should have done it. They didn't do it then. And at that point, okay, they're in on Otani and they're in on keeping him and they're going to do what they have to do, which is exactly how they've proceeded since. What's going on, Ken? How you doing? Hey, Lorenzo? Today? How's it going, man? Been all right. Been all right. Uh, me personally, I agree with everything. This ain't the Zach Greinke trade, by the way. <laughs> Zach Greinke for Lorenzo Cain. <laughs> I like it. Um, me personally, I agree with everything you just said. Um, like I said, they traded for Reynolds. Um, to me, Shohei Otani, I think they should have traded him at the deadline. But, hey, um, they're making a move. They're trying to win a World Series. But me personally, I don't think they have a chance of, of making the playoffs or winning a World Series. So do we go into the offseason um, knowing that Otani's not coming back? And also, do you decide to move Trout now? Well, Is it an opportunity to move Trout and not waste his good years or the rest of the years he has left? It's funny you ask that because mm -hmm. I wrote this today. Their chances of making the playoffs are slim. Their chances of signing Otani are probably even slimmer. So yeah. if you play this out, where are they in December, for instance, if they haven't made the playoffs and Otani has gone to wherever else he might go? Then you have some hard things to look at. And yeah, you might want to retool. Now, Artie Marino has never really done that. They've never gone all the way down. But... You have to ask yourself that question. And part of the calculus here is, okay, you're taking the shot. It looks really cool to all of us right now, but what's the downside? What's the risk? And our writer, Sam Blum, wrote about this today, that 
it looks rosy if it all works out, but there's a better chance it doesn't work out. And if it doesn't work out, then you're going to have to face all the questions that we're discussing here, including the one, Lorenzo, that you just raised. What do you do with Mike Trout? Does Mike Trout at that point, who has been a good soldier throughout his career, say, you know what, guys, I, I want to win. I want to go to a place where I can win. It's a very good question. Hey, I'm going to switch gears real quick. I'm going to uh, Thor, my guy I play with the Mets. Um, what was what was the thinking there for the Guardians there, uh, as well as the Dodgers? I, I'm I'm just I was kind of confused a little bit. Um, who won that trade? What do you what do you think the thinking was at the end of the day for both parties? Well, it's funny, Todd. We sit here, a lot of us as reporters and others, we speculate on what trades might happen and who might fit here, who might fit there. And as I've often said. We don't know what the heck is going on. And what happens ultimately makes our heads spin around. The Giolito trade to the Angels, no one saw that coming. Syndergaard for Rosario? No, that was not on anybody's bingo card either. Now, the way I see it, the Guardians certainly need innings in their rotation. They've had injuries. Bieber, most prominent among them. They're pitching a number of kids. They're hoping Syndergaard is healthy and can give them at least some coverage for the rest of the season. Rosario was a guy that meant an awful lot to that team last season and before, and even this year. But they have a number of young shortstops that they want to create opportunities for, and Rosario is a potential free agent. They weren't going to re-sign him. They did discuss an extension with him in spring training, but it didn't go very far. So that is why the Guardians did what they did, kind of an expendable piece at a time when they needed pitching, and they figured, well, might as well take a shot, and if this is all we can get for Ahmad Ahmad Rosario, then let's do it. The Dodgers, it's interesting there too, because they just traded for Enrique Hernandez. Now, you're not going to play Enrique Hernandez at shortstop. We saw that happen with the Red Sox this year, and on a regular basis, it just wasn't working. Maybe even on an irregular basis, it wouldn't have worked after all that he went through there. They've got Miguel Rojas, a competent defender. Rosario hits left-handed pitching, and that's something that appeals to them. They did want right-handed bats. And while his defense this year is down, I assume they feel that he can handle the position and they'll figure it out, a rotation with him and Rojas, and they'll play Kike against left-handers too in certain other positions. They have a unique way of putting a team together, and it usually works, right? So that was their idea. And the other thing from the Dodgers' perspective, they traded a guy that probably was never going to pitch for them again to get – Ahmed Rosario, who will at least play some role. So we're talking about a team that's four games out. Yes, they have Shohei. Is it true? Are we hearing that the Diamondbacks may pivot and maybe not be real big buyers or sellers at the break with their half a game out of the wild card right now? No, it's not true that they're going to pivot. And the only thing that I've written and that is probably true is – they, at the start of the month, had a lead in that division. I believe it was three games. They don't have that lead anymore. They're chasing the Dodgers as they often have throughout the past couple of, well, the past decade. And at that point, do you act as aggressively? Because you're looking at the difference between a division title and a potential buy out of the first round and a wild card, which is an entry into that first two of three. So you might not be quite as aggressive. Now, this is a team that, like many others this year, wants to get back to the postseason and is finally on the upswing. But you're going to hear this over and over again in the next few days. We're going to act responsibly. We're not going to do anything stupid. Okay. But I can see the logic for the Diamondbacks because if you're not playing for the big prize, knocking down the Dodgers, getting that bye, you're playing for a wild card, it's a little bit of a different equation. And they could react to that. They're going to try. They're going to try to get better. But I don't know that they're going to be as aggressive as they might have been before. Okay, Ken, let's finish with the Cubs. And I loved your little note in the athletic windup, the great newsletter this morning about the lines <laughs> in the game. Yesterday I was watching and I was like, oh, no, poor GMs are going to get calls now. They're going to be like, oh, I watched that game last night. Stroman, seven earned and three and a third. Lynn, I think some of that was uh, inherited runners after he left because I, I turned away for a moment, but seven earned in four and two thirds. He's going to join us later, later and Joe Kelly and Middleton for the White Sox as well. Okay, so let's focus on the Cubs. We know the White Sox are going to trade everybody, but basically cease. They have made a run. They have won what now? Six of se seven of eight. Now, 
Stroman's not pitching well, and he has the player opt out that, hey, if he really doesn't pitch well the next couple months, teams are definitely going to be afraid of on the other end. Bellinger looks like he'd be the best bat available. Do we really think the Cubs are going to be a serious playoff team and they're going to buy now instead of selling away Bellinger where they can get probably two high-end prospects for him? I don't know. Now, Scott, remember, they've sold the past two deadlines, and they play in Chicago, a big market. It's sort of time for them to start thinking about winning, wouldn't you say? So that's one end of it. The other end of it is most of their top prospects were guys that they acquired in those last two deadlines, those deals that they made for Bryant and Rizzo and others. So there is a real appeal to selling for them, particularly because you say it correctly. They're not going to win the World Series this year. They might not even win the NL Central this year. Probably won't, in fact. And wild card is equally elusive, most likely. So I see the logic both ways here. But I will say this. If they go into Monday or Tuesday having won, I don't know, it's 7 of 8 right now. Let's say it's 10 of 12 or something along those lines. It would be really difficult to tell your players and your manager and your coaching staff, Sorry, guys, we're going to pull the plug right now. When we've pulled the plug the last two years, well, this is the last time we're going to do it. We might not do it again, but we might. It's problematic. And it's interesting with Stroman. His last six starts, he has regressed. Bellinger, yes, could get a lot, and you do well for him. But it's the whole question of do you go in or do you go out? Or do you try to kind of thread the needle in between? I'm not sure where they are right now. There isn't much clarity in a, in a lot of ways, but if they don't keep this going, then I think it becomes clear in yourself. Yep. Yeah, it, it's wild at this point of the year when you're looking at some of these teams. Like, I really don't see it. You're watching 100-plus games of, like, the Angels, the Cubs. You're like, I don't see it, but they're winning at the right time to kind of screw over their right. future maybe to an extent. Ken, great to have you on here right at the top. Keep doing your thing. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Ken Rosenthal, and you can catch, obviously, everything he's doing on Twitter. He'll have fresh fair territory coming up for you next week. We'll post all of this to the podcast if you missed any of it as well. Hot corner, baby. The Rangers-Astros rivalry is back. I feel like last night really solidified that it is very much back. Jordan Alvarez is back for the Astros, one of the most clutch hitters in the game. Mm-hmm. Bregman homers. Next batter, Jordan. Yeah, we're sizzling, baby. 0-2 pitch. He's plunked. Then later on, Simeon in the third inning, he's plunked. Both of them hit on the shoulder. There was a lot of this back and forth going on later where Simeon was John at Framber Valdez. And then Adolis Garcia hits a grand slam. And there's more back and forth. And eventually when Adolis touches home, him and Maldi and Simeon are getting into it. Simeon tossed. Maldonado tossed. Now, remember, we talked yesterday about Manny Machado getting hit by a pitch from Perdomo on the Pirates. Perdomo mm-hmm. got suspended for three games, and we're like, where's the bad blood, the past, the history, whatever? It felt like, felt like just a pissed-off pitcher. This one's got history to it, so let me just set this up, and then set it we'll, up. Set it we'll up. lay it all out, okay? So last year, there was a little back and forth with Maldonado and Adolis. Mm-hmm. So we'll show you the tweets here, and I'll read it out for you. It wasn't just the homers. As he rounded the bases and touched home plate, his first homer of the multi-homer game, Maldonado had a few words for Adolis Garcia. At the time, Garcia preferred not to comment, saying it was something he would keep between the two of them. He recalled that moment in the clubhouse. This week, this week, Adolis let it out. He goes, Maldi just kind of told me that I wasn't going to hit off of them anymore. (laughs) Garcia said through his interpreter, quote, like that would be the last home run I would hit. It kind of pushed me, gave me a little bit of inspiration to say, you know what, we'll see, let's find out. So that's kind of given that push for me to do better against them. And then he hit a home run the next at-bat that day and many after that. And one more quote here because we're not going to play the whole Simeon post-game chat, but he was very open about the conversations. Yep. And he basically <clears throat> said that Mald- like he- Simeon said, hey, Rangers are going to win this game like early when it was close. And then Maldonado was like, no, it's just like when you were in Oakland. <laughs> Woo! You love it. Yeah, that was a great game. I, I No, I thought it was great. I think the banter is just a little crazy. I, I mean – I know Maldonado a little bit. I understand what he does. He, you know, he's he's gonna have his players back, but I mean, you're gonna talk about Oakland. I mean, come on, dude. I, I don't know. That's that's <laughs> just. I don't know if he knew what to say there. And uh, 
listen, Simeon did the right thing, man. Got plunk, hit the home run, stared at him a little bit, did what he had to do. If you're going to talk smack and back it up like that, I love every second of that. If you're going to talk it and walk it at the same time, you know, God bless you. And listen, if you want to come, if Maldonado wants to say something after that, I, I thought that was a little cheap. Well, Dusty said after the game, Dusty Baker, Astro Skipper, quote, when you draw at the guy you expect to get something in return, Maldi wasn't going to go away like he was some little punk. So they both are going back and forth. I will say, Locaine, this started yesterday with Jordan Alvarez, their best hitter, making his return, 0-2 pitch, he's hit on the shoulder. Like, if I'm the Astros, I do understand them getting pissed off on that one. Yeah, 100%. You know, I, I definitely enjoy a little trash talk every now and then myself. So, uh, you know, I, I know Maldi as well, and he he's definitely a, the guy that kind of gets under your skin a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy it. You know, you get plunk, no one likes it. But um, like I said, I'm, I was always a guy that I would like to back it up with my play on the field. You know, I didn't talk much, but I would love to back up everything I did on the field. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, lot, a lot of fun to watch for sure. Yeah, I think this is part of what makes – Maldonado, everybody can – you know, you can learn to, like, call the right pitches, but he's not talking smack to their number eight hitter. He's talking smack to dudes that he's got to get under their skin a little bit mm-hmm. to get them off their game. Like, how many times are you, like, do your anger swings actually become homers? Mm-hmm. I like I like it. You, you got you to gotta talk the talk. You got to be able to really get under the hitter's skin and make them think, oh, well, what are they going to do next? Just like you got to be able to throw up and in on guys. And you have to be able to protect your team. So the emotions were running high. Also, I think the Rangers, I think Simeon kind of is stepping up in that role. He's very seldom, you know, he's usually just real mid with his emotions. He does not, he doesn't get too heated. He doesn't get too excited. But he saw Jonah Heim go out. He saw Seeger go out. DeGrom's been out for a while. Evaldi's, Evaldi's going down and all of a sudden, or not going down, he's, you know, he's getting, he's missing a start his team's kind of physically falling apart. And when you get guys thrown at, and then all of a sudden, you know, the emotions start going a little higher, need it. I love seeing it from both sides. Kratzy, he jumped on the plate. That is so un-Marcus Simeon-like, and I love it. He was like, dude, it's on. I'm on a good team now. I want this rivalry. I don't like my guys getting thrown at, even though yours got thrown at. Because there was also... Uh, who was it? Um, I think it was Lowe. Who Lowe. Got, yep. Yeah, it was – that that was dicey. Now, Framber did not have it. He, you know, sometimes he says, like, mentally it just doesn't click for him and his control's off. That was one of those games yesterday. He got smacked around. But at the same time, I think it was good, clean fun. You know what pisses me off, Todd Father? That they got booted. They didn't throw punches. Yeah, they were just kind of looking I, at I, each other. I, Let them freaking play. And I was just going to say, it was great that they gave warnings after both guys got hit. And I thought that was solid. Usually that guy gets thrown out of the game. Now the warnings come. Both of them got hit. I respect that because usually they're taught now. Like if you throw at somebody after somebody said you get thrown out, that's not baseball, okay? Somebody should get, you know, whether it's retaliation or something, one one pitch, I, I would. that's old school in me. But nowadays I respect it. And then you throw guys out, that, that's just dumb. It's just so dumb. Let the, nobody threw a punch. They're talking smack. That's baseball. That's life in general, okay? But, yes. Love the banter. I love the talking smack. I love it. Get under somebody's skin. Throw a bow tie up there. Let them know you're still there. You got to keep them off balance, man. This is baseball. This is why the sport is so much fun to watch. So what happens next? Like, Kratzy, if you're catching the next matchup between these two, is there anything or you feel like they both kind of got their words in? Unless someone gets hit, right? Like, kind of unintentionally. But it's not like you're going to your boy like, all right, now we got to get him back again. Uh, that's, that's really, you know, you got to feel the situation. You got to be on the field and understand, you know, are we even, did we not get even? You talk to Maldonado and he's like, yeah, I was, I was kind of chirping at him. So that was, that was on me, you know, it backfired, (laughs) it backfired this time. So that I don't know, but I'm going to give credit to the umpires here because that pitch to low underneath his chin, they could have, they could have just thrown him out. And I felt like they had, they had good feel there. That that was not an intent per pitch right there. That pitch was it ran way far. Yes, it's ninety seven. Yes, it's by his face. But they didn't have to throw Framber out. Dusty threw him out because he brought in a new pitcher. But <laughs> it was one of those things. I feel like normally we don't give those guys enough credit. They had good feel in that situation, which I think escalated stuff a little bit. Like why? You know, the Rangers are like, well, you know, we, na- we have no recourse now. 
And what I'm doing the first pitch of the next game, I'm calling a fastball inside, depending on who the pitcher is. But majority of pitchers, if there's warnings out before the game, you've got to throw the first pitch inside. Or else the rest of the game, they're, when you need to go in, they're going to be scared to go in, and that ball's going to leak over the plate, and it's going to be souvenir city. <laughs> Locane, I know you said you like to have your play kind of dictate how you were going to go about your business, mm-hmm. but that's how Marcus Semyon is. So would you have done what he did there? Because I agree. I don't remember if it was Todd or Kratzy said the Rangers, like, they were falling in some games. Now the Astros have their best hitters coming back. They've got some injuries going on. I, I don't know. Like, you tell me, if you're on a team like this, does it help? Like, the guys are a little fired up. They feel like they can kind of go head-to-head with the Astros now. And, wait, also, side note, the score. It was 3 nothing. Breg, Breggy bomb early on in the game in the first inning. You're like, uh-oh, here comes Houston. Todd Father and me were like, yesterday. we both picked that game. And then 13 unanswered runs by the Rangers. Yeah. Well, I, for, first and foremost, I love seeing that from Marcus Simeon. You know, just playing against him over the years. You know, he just seemed like a, you know, humble guy. He stays to himself. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that I didn't talk when, when we, you know, the scuffles happened on the field. Now, I'm backing my teammates 100%. And that's why I love to see that from Simeon. And, uh, yeah, as a whole, you want to see that from your teammates. That's To me, that's a sign of a good team, you know, backing each other. Um, all the time so um just overall it was a good situation to see as a whole and then for them to go out and put up the amount of runs they did after the altercations that was that was definitely a lot of fun i'm with you baby i think that was good yeah i i love seeing this stuff especially this time of year because Mm -hmm. you know these two teams are in the middle in the thick of it too as well so go ahead man you want to pop off a little bit, chirp yeah. a little bit? Let's go, man. And to back it up even better, it's like, ah, ooh, maybe I shouldn't. You know, but so it's like it makes it makes for exciting times, makes for exciting baseball. Now when these guys face each other again, people are like, all right, this must see TV. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, 100%. when we do game time, I'm, I'm getting my ticket to Arlington or to Houston <laughs> to watch that game. I'll tell you that. Eric Kratz at one point, and then we'll run the return for the White Sox in this Angels trade with Otani. Yeah, the dancing's still Something's going. Something's going on over Kratz, there. Kratz, you put, what did you say, three and a half is the over-under for how many White Sox are going to get traded? You might want to up that to like six and a half. <laughs> Especially with Ozzie Guillen saying the guys that work in the parking lot are getting traded. <laughs> <laughs> we actually have that clip. We'll get to it. So Kyle Glazer from Baseball America gives us the goods on the prospect return for the White Sox in this deal with Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez moving over to the Angels, and the Angels saying, uh, don't touch our Shohei Otani. In exchange for Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez, the White Sox got two promising young prospects in AA who project to be a part of their team moving forward in catcher Edgar Caro and left-handed pitcher Kai Bush from the Angels. Caro is a 20-year-old switch hitting catcher, a very advanced hitter for his age, strong hands, innate feel for the barrel, should grow into power as he gets stronger. His defense needs a little bit of work. He tends to try and pick balls out of the dirt as opposed to get his body in front and block them. His footwork and transfer need to improve, as does his arm accuracy on throws down to second base. But you still have the foundation here of a switch hitting bat first catcher who should be able to play every day. Bush is a six foot six left-hander with a four-pitch mix, topped by a 92-95 mile an hour fastball with good sink, as well as a swing and miss slider. He has the foundation to be a back of the rotation left-hander, someone who should help the White Sox moving forward. They're still young players. Development is still ahead, but if everything clicks, Bush should end up being a part of the White Sox rotation, and Caro should be their everyday catcher for years to come. So that's a pretty good return wow. for the White Sox. And it's it's like he was saying with Kai Bush, they're not necessarily seeing him as a top-end guy, and Caro's not necessarily going to be you know the world's best catcher, but two serviceable big leaguers, if you're projecting them at this point, they'll have team control of. That's great, but also tells me, the Angels farm system, I think most places have them ranked bottom like three. And now they're an easy 30th in most people's book. Like they've got nothing going for the future. And I know Eric's going to agree with me on this. They're prospects right now. So to hear that, oh, for days to come, you hear a guy say that, Glazer, I love him to death. You know, I know guys, yeah, I'm I'm more of the old school. I want guys that have been there before. So we don't know what we're going to get with any of these guys. Minor leagues are totally different than the major leagues. So for me, I want guys that have been there before that have done it. Eric, I know you're going to agree with me on that one. No, I completely disagree with you. What? Oh, of course I agree with you. <laughs> like, like let, let's just 
let's put into perspective what the word prospect means. There is nothing, they have not accomplished anything. This guy, this catcher, it, listen to what Glazer said. He said he doesn't have, you know, he could, he could grow into power. Okay, well, he's probably wrong on that because he had 17 homers last year. So he's already grown into his power. Or wait, is it, is it, you know, is it gone now because he only has three homers this year? Like, prospect stuff, just, you could write the same article about the number 30 prospect in an organization, and unfortunately for the Angels, they didn't have much of a prospect, you know, system. So their top guy is more like a 10 in other organizations. You just you're not talking about a Marcelo Meyer. You're not talking about a Jackson Holiday or a Juan Soto when he was coming up or an Ellie De La Cruz here. We're talking about a kid who is 20 and he's catching, which is the most difficult position to come up to the big leagues in by far. And you're talking about the fact that now he's going to the White Sox system. Who have the White Sox ever produced that they're like besides first round picks? It's like, well, you're, you're pretty much good enough to play. Who have they been producing that hasn't been a high pick and was like, oh, they're just going to make the big leagues anyway? All right, let's get to uh, the next trade discussion right now. Charlotte's Web Player Access is sponsored by Recreate, and we're connecting with Padres beat reporter for MLB, AJ Casavell, for the first time on this show. AJ, good to see you, dude. Very timely. We, we've wanted to have you on for a bit, and this is actually the perfect day for it because we need help here. The Padres could completely swing around the trade deadline if they suddenly decide to sell and say, we're going to be top dog and we're going to get a ton for Snell and Hater and we're going to rebuild. Where are we at as of right now? I, I wish I had better answers for you because it's it's been about for a month now where we kind of weren't sure which direction they'd go, whether it was buying, whether it was selling. He kind of wanted them to, wanted the team's performance to put them in one direction or another. And they haven't. I mean, they, they lost three or four in Philadelphia, and it looked like the season was kind of on the brink, and they were going towards seller, and then they finished that road trip strong. And then they come back home, and they lose two or three to the, to the Pirates. So I think as things stand, there's a possibility for both. There's a possibility the Padres buy and sell. And if they take the avenue of selling, and maybe last night's White Sox-Angels trade kind of is sets the market for what you can get for a starter and a reliever, it's a seller's market, and the Padres have two of the most intriguing chips. So I would expect with this team, nothing happens imminently. The Padres get as much data as they can on what they have, maybe wait till after a weekend series against Texas. But if I'm if I'm looking at the needle where it stands on the buy-sell scale, I think ever so slightly it's tilted towards sell. So my question would be is, all right, they do sell. Snell, Hater, they all of a sudden, all right, they're out there to get taken. What are they trying to get back? Uh, have you heard any inkling on that? Is there some? Is there anything like really specific that they're like, you know what? We're willing to give this up, but what are we? What are you trying to get back? Is it a boatload? Is it just certain person they're looking for? Talk to me. It's it's a they're, they're going to want a lot back because th those two guys are obviously key pieces to 2023, and they haven't given up on 2023. I think the key for what they want back is guys who can help them win either this season or very shortly, because they're going to enter 2024, regardless of how the 23 season finishes, with championship aspirations. It's Juan Soto's final season before free agency. You have Manny Machado and Xander Bogart still in their primes. you got a pitching staff anchored by Joe Musgrove and you Darvish. Like, this is a team that should contend next year. It should be contending this year, but that's its own story. So I think they're going to want to get pieces that help fill out their bench, that are controllable. Maybe, I, I think I mentioned the possibility that they both buy and sell. I think that's... A, a real possibility that they were to, if they were to trade someone like Josh Hader, they get back two or three kind of big league caliber guys to, to help their bench depth or some of maybe their outfield depth and maybe a prospect or two. And then you turn around and, and acquire a, a relief pitcher who has more control beyond this season. I think that's possible. So I think the biggest thing is in the, in, in the, what the Padres are searching for are guys that can still help them either now or very shortly because they're, they, they still think their windows open. It's just, it's just not pretty in the standings right now. All right. You said intriguing pieces in the trade market. Wouldn't you say they're the two best pieces? If they're offering Blake Snell and Josh Hader, are they not the two best pieces available right now? 
I think they are. I mean, as it looks like Shohei Otani's not, and so those are those probably the two best guys. Blake Snell's been been awesome. I think he's been. I mean, it, it was kind of a travesty that he wasn't an All Star in his hometown. He's been maybe the best pitcher in baseball for almost two and a half months now. Every time he goes out there, when he's bad, it's six innings, one run, a whole bunch of walks. When he's good, it's seven shutout innings. You put that guy in in your rotation, he can start game one of a playoff series with how well he's pitching right now. So the Padres could get a lot for that, for, for Blake Snell. Same goes for Josh Hader. He's been locked down at the back end of that bullpen. And and it's, it, I mean, if the Padres were to look to trade those guys, I think they would still say they want to compete in 2023 and they have a lot of talent there to do so. But those guys have been so valuable for what they're trying to accomplish this season that like any team that gets them, We'll instantly have two guys who who are good pieces for the rest of the regular season, no doubt. But Blake Snell could be a game one or two starter. Josh Hader could could save big games in the postseason. Like those are October pieces. Okay, just help me to understand this. Help me to understand this. The Padres are willing to sell, which I don't think they should. Personally, I think they should go out there because I think they have a really good team. Personally, but the Angels are going after it. They're, like, they're trying to make it to the playoffs and hopefully win a World Series. I'm kind of confused on that entire situation. Can you help me understand that? Because I, I feel that the Padres are the better team by far, even though it's not showing in the standings. But help me understand that situation. Why Why should the Padres be selling and the Angels shouldn't? Maybe the Padres don't sell. I mean, they, there's a case to be made that they should absolutely buy because mm-hmm. – you look at kind of where they are in the standings. I don't I don't know what we would make the, the playoff odds right now for, for the Padres, but I think it's like a one in three shot at the playoffs. But if the Padres make the playoffs, like with the roster they have, with Blake Snell, with Josh Hader, like that's a team that could do damage in October. And so maybe you look at buying. I think the argument to selling is just that this team that, that on paper looks like it should be so much better than it is, and I think the Angels even are four or five games better than what the Padres are right now, like the Padres just haven't lived up to that team all season, so they haven't shown the signs of, of being that team. I think in an ideal world, they'd like another like two or three weeks to kind of see if they can attain that, but they just haven't. Something so far this season has been missing. What that thing is, I'm ha- I watch them every day. I have a hard time putting my finger on it because they, I mean, their run differential is so good, they just lose every close game, it seems like. And so, I mean, if the Padres were to, if the Padres were to buy at the trade deadline and add a... They wouldn't have to sacrifice too much to add a, a, a DH-type bat and maybe a, a middle-innings reliever. That's a team that could go on a run and make the playoffs. I think you just look at the odds and you say it's more likely than not that they don't. So do you sell as a result of that? And then what happens? I think you also don't want to... You don't want to. You don't want to take what you have here, which is a lot of really good players, and kind of upset what's going on. Mm-hmm. This is a team that should be a contender in twenty twenty four, regardless of what happens. I I just don't know what they're going to do over the next four days, and whether they look to that as the goal, or whether they still keep their focus right now on this season, even with the odds dwindling. Yeah, and I'll, I'll go back to what you're saying here because I've watched a lot of Padres, and hey, I've done well on on my bets that I've placed this year. But I did say for our preseason predictions. I love the Padres. I think they're going to win the World Series. It's not looking good right now. Now, at some point, I was like, oh, this could be like the Phillies last year where the team underperforms for a while. And then all of a sudden, they go on a run and then they get hot at the right time and they make that run through the playoffs. Still possible. Not a lot of time left and no chance in my mind, obviously, if Snell and or Hater are dealt. So I'll kind of finish that statement with a question of just what the fuck? Like, why are all of those close games not going their way? Now, is it bullpen to blame? Is it the offense for not blowing teams out at times when it feels like they should? And also, this series tells it all. You're watching them play a Pirates team that is just flat out not good. And the Pirates are, they're making the Pirates look like a playoff team. Yeah, and that, I, I don't have the answer to, to that, the close game question, but I keep writing it and I keep talking about it because that's the biggest issue. This is a team that's a lot better than what their record says it is just based on the talent they have. Their differential is plus 51. I think they're that, that's the third best in the National League and their record is the 10th best. I think they're 6-17 and 17 in one-run games, 0-9 in extra innings. It's Some of it's the bullpen getting overworked at certain times. Some of it's not situational hitting. I think some of it is games like yesterday where you kind of have Johan Oviedo on the ropes early and they let him off the hook and all of a sudden it gets to the seventh, eighth inning and you're like, 
man, where where is this game headed? Like, how how are the Padres not up by three or four runs already? And then you get to the ninth inning, and all of a sudden there's pressing. There's there's a lot of like weirdness to it. I think some of it might be luck, which is part of the reason I think that you take this roster and you run it back in 2024 with with whatever else you do. Like, there's a good chance they could be a contender then, but. I, I just don't know what's been lacking from this group other than results in those close games. And so it's it, it, it's hard to, it's hard to figure out. They're, they're so much better than than what their record indicates based on the talent they have, but they just haven't played like it. This is rumor season. You're in the clubhouse all the time. We've heard rumors about the clubhouse having an issue. Somebody being in the clubhouse that is not, you know, is the clubhouse together? And, you know, take away the losing part of it because everyone hates life when you're losing. But is there a clubhouse thing that you see that's going on in there? I don't I don't really think so. I think it's a pissed off team that's losing a bunch of games. And that's that's the clubhouse that I that I go into after after games. I don't think there's like discord among the players. I think there's plenty of unity there. But. Losing greats on you and losing in, in, in this sport, probably, I mean, you guys know better than me, like losing in this sport where it's where every single day you're kind of not living up to those expectations is different than, than any other. And so being in a clubhouse day in, day out, when you're not living up to those expectations, I think it maybe feels a little bit like every time the Padres, every time the Padres win a game, maybe it's kind of what everyone in that clubhouse feels like they should be doing. So you don't appreciate it as much. You don't revel in it as much. And when you lose a game and you're four games under 500 already and you lose to the Pirates on a Wednesday afternoon in July, knowing where you are at the trade deadline, it starts to feel like a crisis. And I think that builds and compounds and frustrations grow. And so I, I don't know about specific discord, but I don't think it's a happy clubhouse. Per se. All right. I got a fan question for you here from Brian. He asked, why did Padres extend players they didn't have to, like a Darvish and a Cronworth? What would you answer to that? Well, they're kind of two separate cases. Darvish was going to be a free agent after this season, and they looked at their rotation beyond this season and essentially felt that that having you, Darvish, beyond this year was going to be probably more important than... Like, they locked him up at a relatively reasonable average annual value. He has kind of been up and down this season. I still think you, Darvish, is going to be really good late, into, late, late into his career. The Cronenworth one, I think, is a little kind of different question because they had so much team control left on him, and... I, I just think they really like the guy and they like the piece and they like the fit in the clubhouse. And uh, it, I mean, his AAV is also pretty low, but that's one where you, you kind of you see it and you're like, well, they could have, it had they waited to negotiate, maybe things would have been a little different there. Um, it's, it's kind of also the, the organizational preference, the ownership preference to find guys that they, they want to build around and keep them here long-term. I mean, I don't know whether that we'll kind of see what happens later in those contracts. I'm sure both of them at toward the end of them won't look great, but there are two integral pieces that I think in Darvish's case, he's been mostly fine this season. He had a couple, a couple starts that have, that have kind of blown up his ERA. Um, in Cronenworth's case, he's just, he just hasn't lived up to what, what the Padres expected him to be till now. All right. Your crystal ball time. We don't think we don't know what the Padres are. This year, I mean, next year at this time, the Padres are the exact same. How are the Padres going to handle Juan Soto differently than the Angels are handling Otani? So you're saying the Padres are the exact same or in as the same spot as they are? I think if they're in the same spot they are this year, then something's gone terribly wrong next year because this this team, as constructed, can't do can't possibly do this two years in a row, right? So <laughs> I, I think if if it got to that point the Padres would have to consider trading Juan Soto and recouping some of that value. But I just think they're going to go into that season. Like the re- there's a reason Juan Soto hasn't been mentioned in any trade discussions this year. It's because the Padres look at 2024 and say, you know what, this, if, even if what they end up saying is 2023, probably not going to happen. And they trade hater or they trade Snell or they trade them both. They still look at 2024 as a season where they can win. They can accomplish big things. And so if they're in the same spot next season, I think they would have to entertain trading Soto. I just don't think they have any plans to do so because they really, really want to take this franchise where it hasn't been before, which is winning a World Series. Okay, let's finish with this. 
Where's AJ Preller at? I mean, obviously he's going to at least run this team through next year. If this team doesn't do what it's expected to do at some point, he's been with the ball club for a while. Do you think that he's going to feel his seat getting hot? I know and we have a ton of respect. I mean, we, we talk about owners on this show all the time. Peter Seidler has, has gone for it, picking up superstars, putting money into the team the place is filled up and i've been out there it's freaking awesome like most we wish most owners would be like peter seidler he sets the great example and he sounds like he's a loyal guy too do you think there's disappointment in the front office just for not being still like a consistent winner in playoff team despite all of this like the formula isn't connecting which sucks yeah yeah there's there's like there's such a complicated kind of look at what A.J. Preller has done in his tenure with the Padres because he's brought in so many big-time players and big-time pieces, and he's done so with the backing of ownership. And then there's just kind of questions about how he's filled out the fringes of his roster, some of which are out of his control, some of which are completely within his control. I think the Padres, 1 through 10, their 10 best players are better than any top 10 players on any roster in baseball. And so you kind of wonder, well, what's, what's maybe going on with those 11 through 40 that the Padres aren't living up to those expectations, that their bench is as thin as it is where when the season's on the line, you've got some of the career minor league pieces that you have batting in the ninth inning of a big game against the Pirates. So I, I think there's there's probably, like, the organization, Peter Seidler, he, what he's done for San Diego has been outstanding. The ballpark's packed every single night. And the leeway he's given A.J. Preller to kind of go and acquire these superstars and then pay these superstars is, I mean, it, it's extremely notable. I think A.J. Preller... Probably, I, I don't know what happens the rest of this season, but he would probably be given the foresight to go ahead and see what happens in 2024 too with him at the helm. It'll be, if if the Padres, I mean, we're getting really ahead of ourselves here because Preller has a very big next five days first, but if, if the Padres don't realize their goals and aspirations this season, I think Preller, based on what's happened now in two of the last three seasons, 2023 was or 2022 was kind of magical in San Diego. They beat the Dodgers. They they signed or they traded for Juan Soto. But I think if you go into this offseason with two out of three seasons ending in disappointment when the Padres have pushed more of their chips in than they had in the past, then Preller's seat will be hot going into 2024. I appreciate you coming on here, man. I know you're a Jersey guy like myself. I'm going to send you out a fresh pie because I know you're not eating good pizza over there. So be on the lookout. <laughs> it's it's decent. There's no such thing as bad pizza, but nothing like Jersey pizza. All right. I respect that, man. Thanks again for coming out. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, AJ. Great to talk to you, dude. AJ Casavell, and, and you can follow him, of course, not only on Twitter, but does a great job writing for MLB for years now on the Padres. Like, like you saw here, like real talk really gets into it. Um, at AJ Casavell, C-A-S-S-A-V-E-L-L, if you want to give him a follow. And if you're into trying to win a trip to the World Series, recreate the official CBD of MLB wants to send you there. Follow at hello underscore recreate on IG. Post a photo in your favorite baseball gear using the hashtag live play recreate along with the hashtag RC sweepstakes. No purchase necessary. The sweepstakes ends July 31st and is open to legal residents of the 50 U.S. states and D.C. age 18 plus. For rules, visit charlottesweb.com slash World Series. Recreate the official CBD of Major League Baseball. Woo! What a day. Chat's been bumping. I love the questions from everyone. Also, real quick, um, before we get to locks, just wanted to get thoughts on the trades we didn't cover if you had a comment. So you saw the Dylan Floro for Jorge Lopez deal. So Lopez gets another year. He's got another year of control for the Marlins, kind of a higher upside pick versus a Floro, who can help the Twins this year and is more consistent, change of scenery kind of deal. And then also we had Todd Father, the Dodgers. We talked a little bit about it with Ken Rosenthal, but picking up Ahmed Rosario, mm -hmm. who you played with or yes, no? Yes, I did. You yep. played with Ahmed. And he had a great year last year. He's a little more down this year. His defense rating and metrics-wise isn't good, and he's not hitting like he did last year. But maybe, again, change of scenery, him for your boy Thor. That too, was too a mad. shocker play for with me. Both of them. Yeah, I – it is what it is. Can't change it now. I, I didn't. We don't. You know, some of these you don't see coming, and you don't know what they're really thinking. You know, I know Thor told me a while back. You know, he wasn't. You know, himself. Mm -hmm. I don't know what was going on over there. He wished it was a little better. But for me, um, 
yeah, they're both good dudes, man. I, I, I think Ahmed needs to change scenery. I think Thor needs to change scenery. So they're both going to two good ball clubs. It's not like they're going to t- t- some shrimps that are not even in it. So they're going to good ball clubs. Hopefully that scenery helps both of them because they're really, really good dudes. Did the, twins, did the Twins fleece the Marlins again on another trade? Getting Floro for I'm, – I'm just trolling you. Oh, Verizon, <laughs> Pablo Lopez. That's a win-win. <laughs> Even so we would know. I mean, you, we know how much you love a rise, but well, I think... look, he's not he's not like hitting 400 right now. And look what happened to the Marlins since he's not hitting, you know, he's hitting, like he's hitting 299 in the last in 20 slump. games. Right. Exactly. He's in a slump and the Marlins can't hit. But Jorge Lopez was legit. So I think his I said earlier about ceiling. I think Jorge Lopez's ceiling is really high. But I think Floro with that sinker slider, keeping the ball in the ballpark in Minnesota is – it's a big thing. You watch some Minnesota games right now. The ball is flying out of target field. Yes, sir. Well, for also, me, you uh, know, Kiki, yeah, Kiki you going back to the – oh, go ahead. Kiki going back to the, you know, the Dodgers, you know, them getting a familiar face. You know, there's definitely a comfort level uh, with him being out there. So, uh, yeah, you know how the Dodgers – they know how to put together – uh, put together a roster, and uh, they find ways to go out there and get wins. So they'll be definitely a fun team to continue to watch down the stretch. Also, uh, the Cardinals don't have Paul DeYoung in the lineup today against Mm-mm. the lefty. Uh-oh. So keep an eye on on that ball club. I mean, some of these teams have, like the Cardinals have like five, six dudes to trade. So it, it's got to happen. It's got to happen soon. It, it might happen today. We might be talking about it a lot tomorrow. So mm-hmm. keep an eye out. Now we'll take like – Best one or two questions for slap hands. We have about four minutes. And also, I want to talk judge for a sec before we get to that. So let's do that. Then slap hands will answer your fan questions in here for the trade deadline. And I want to remind everyone that we do have uh, a long, long time of trade coverage. Sorry, I'm, I'm putting some uh, – we got some bots today taking over <laughs> taking over in the chat. So I'm putting them in timeout. I'm learning how to do this to, to stop the bots. Uh I'm a YouTuber. Um, anyway, Aaron Judge could be back tomorrow. We saw the report yesterday from Joel Sherman that said likely back on Friday against the Orioles. Well, it's about damn time. He flew back up from Florida. Like Once he felt like he's like, all right, I can start doing things. They're like, all right, quick to Florida. All right, quick. Like, take a million at-bats. Okay, quick, come back. They need him back fast. So it could be this weekend, which would be earlier than we thought. Yeah, a lot earlier. And I think that's what's going to happen. His presence is going to be felt. That's that's the biggest thing. His presence in the clubhouse, everyone, his presence in the box and just knowing him in the box, I don't care if he's not 100% healthy, but they just got to understand if, if he wasn't ready to play, they wouldn't let him do it. I, I know the trainers and staff there and what they do, but if they're saying, hey, listen, just go out there, give 70, 60%, Okay, fine deal. Let's go. And that that's life. People got to understand that. Can't be mad if he's not going to run out of ground ball as hard as he should. Just understand it's Aaron Judge. He's one of the most prolific hitters in the game. His presence is going to bode well for them going forward. Kratzy, your boy's coming back. You think this weekend? You think Friday? Man, I said 11th, so I feel like I'm, I'm right on par. We were arguing about it. Uh, <laughs> rehab games, no rehab games. I was off. The guy is ready to go, and I don't know that the running is going to be the issue. And my fear would be, now who do you got to stick out in the outfield? Is is Big G going to be in the outfield? He could barely score on a double the other day from from second base. So I gotta, I I wonder what this is going to do. Is it going to get guys more fastballs? Have they not been getting enough fastballs? Like, I hope it works. I hope it works. Yeah. We'll see what happens. All right, let's slap hands, baby. Um, all right, let me give you this question. I thought this was pretty interesting from Travis. Why don't players sign back with teams that traded them the year before, except for Aroldis Chapman with the Yankees? Perfect question for you guys, right? So if you're with one of your squads, you get dealt, and then they come to you in free agency, and they're like, listen, we weren't contending there. We wanted to get some prospects back. We still love you, baby. Here's some yeah. money. We're going to give you as much as anyone else, if not more. Why not? Why not go back? I'll give you a great example. When I was with the Yankees, um, 
or I, I wasn't dealt. I take that back. But when I was with him, then free agency comes around. I would have went back to him, hundred okay. percent. You know, it just wasn't in the cards. We couldn't get a deal done. I think that's the biggest thing, not coming to getting a deal. Maybe a team gave him better money. I mean, I don't think anybody on this panel would say, "Oh man, I don't want to go back to a certain team if they're going to pay you and say, hey, you're you're going to be our guy for a couple years now." Yeah, for sure. Some teams don't want you back. You know, and that's another whole thing in it. It's the business aspect. Everybody understand the business part is the hardest thing because you're looking for a certain amount of money. They're looking for a certain amount. It doesn't come to fruition and another team's willing to pay it. And then you most likely have to go, right? Mm-hmm. All right. I'd sign back. Yankees traded me, signed back later. I got to play with the guy that they traded, traded me for. Oh, Rijo, Wendell Rijo. And I got to play in AAA together. Completely different though. <laughs> I was not a big time free agent. Triple <laughs> A, way different, but I did sign back. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not against signing back with your former team. I mean, I don't know if my situation counts because I got traded, you know, to Kansas City, and then seven years later I went back to Milwaukee, so I don't know if that qualifies, even that though it was a seven-year difference. But, hey, I'm definitely not against it, obviously, so, yeah. Okay, there you go. So <laughs> I, I think uh, from my perspective, just – on the front office side of things, it's playing to what Todd Father said. Most of the time, I think it doesn't happen because there's 29 other teams. So you're banking on yeah. that team you're talking about making the best offer, mm-hmm. right? Just what are the chances of that, of the team that, that just traded the guy actually putting the most money up? I think that has to do with it a lot of the time. Yeah, no the doubt. Yanks brought Chapman back, but guess what? If some other team had a better offer, he gone, Chapman's going to no go doubt. somewhere else. Sure, there, there's, like you guys always say, like you like certain teams better than other teams. And I think anyone's putting a, premium on the A's right now if they're going to sign with the A's you don't even know where you're playing next year yeah. but aside from that I think you look at some of the classic cases John Lester right when he gets traded away from the Red Sox and then doesn't go back like the Cubs gave him a ton of money <laughs> the Red Sox are often not the highest bidder for guys anymore so that was part of it too no Mookie doubt. said he he would have stayed with Boston if Mookie got the free agency and the Red Sox make him the best offer no, he, where's he going he's not going anywhere but Boston he's going to Boston yeah. if they gave him the most money they just didn't the, the Dodgers gave him a better offer. So it's less on the player, more on the teams. Yep. Yep. I'm with you. Oh, I All like right. that. Hit that music, baby. We got we got work to do. Friday, just so everyone knows, we will be at Borgata in Atlantic City. Oh, give me your Kratz hats. I forgot. San Francisco Giants. We got nice. a little BP, little BP hat. Every time I every time I uh break out these hats, I remember that it's not uh this is my this is my part of the game. BP. <laughs> I like the orange. Bring that back for Halloween, too. Oh, like a pumpkin with a, my size head. <laughs> By the way, Shohei Otani, one hitter through seven. I needed Woo. Shohei to get a homer. I, I wanted to hit a homer yesterday. Hey, Although it's, it's the oh, Tigers. No, but listen. Look oh, at his schedule Scott. coming up. It is the Tigers. The Tigers have been playing well. Stop it. Eh. I'm telling you, look at the Angels' schedule. Look at their next 10 series and tell me how they're going to do. It's real. I'm a schedule person. Some people, oh, schedule's overrated. No, it's not. Locaine, let's finish with this. Mm-hmm. Would you rather Would you rather your life on the line with your team? you got to win a series. Do you want to play the Nationals or the Braves? Come on, man. <laughs> I'm just saying. People are like, I, I hear it almost every night on the freaking show I watch when they're flying around to games. They're like, schedule doesn't mean anything. You know, the bad teams can play well. Sure, they can. But the percentage chance that they are going to be a more difficult com- uh, opponent? Right. No, thanks. I'll take the Nats. I'll take the Pirates. I'll take the Tigers. I'll take the A's. And Kratzy, you can play the Braves, the Orioles, the Rays. Schedule matters. What am I missing here? I, 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 I mean, yeah, you're comparing. I'm right next to you. Hot I, me. Listen, I agree. I agree with you. And I'm not going to say anymore because they're going to jump on my bones. Well, I, I, I will say the Nats. You know, I would like to play the Nats. But one thing I will say. <laughs> of course. I don't like playing teams that are – that they don't have anything to play for. Because oh, that's yeah, when you go right. to get beat. I'm afraid of teams that don't have anything to play for. So that's okay, me personally. Then let me just read this. So, And this is going to be funny. Like, they pick up Giolito. They got the Blue Jays this weekend. Okay? Tough. Then they got the Braves. Tough. Then they got the Mariners. Tough. Then the Giants. Boom. Then the Astros. Wow. Then the Rangers. That's Keep all going. on the road, the t- at Rangers and Astros. Good luck. Oh, then they come home. Don't worry. Then they come home. Now we're already deep into August. They got the Rays huh. and the Reds. Huh. Then they go to New York for the Mets. Boom. Then they go to Philadelphia. They might not win one more game. We haven't we haven't hit a bad team. Wait, <laughs> they might not win one wait, game. Wait, I just got through their whole schedule 
through August. How do you feel? I'm not saying oh, – I'm just saying that is a really challenging gauntlet that I just explained there. They are not going to win not? another game. There you go. You want to get a little attention? Five, what if they go 500? Are we picking them for the World Series? If they go 500 during that stretch, they're probably not a playoff team because somebody's got to emerge a little better in a pretty good AL wild card race. Trout's you got to go back. better than 500 Trout's during coming that back. stretch. They're picking up a three-time MVP at the trade deadline. He's just getting there a couple couple weeks late. <laughs> I'm fine with it, but okay. Play the music and raise your hand. Oh, we got a tweet? What? Oh, yeah. Oh, John Fisher should be embarrassed about a lot of things, but the Lance Lynn to the Rays rumors. Another reminder, two teams were in stadium limbo. Fisher chose to quit while Sternberg kept his foot on the gas. No excuse for Fisher's behavior. Hmm. Melissa coming in. Coming strong. out hot. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I got gotcha. you. Right. I think they're in different spots. And yes, I mean, so we're basically saying one dude is a monster, which we all know. I mean, they're raising ticket prices during their next stadium protest game, and we can get into uh, that another day. Oh, man. Uh, no doubt. That's fine. But all right, back to the Angels for a sec, and we can, we can say goodbye to everyone. Raise your hand. Nice and simple here as we say goodbye. If you think the Angels are making the playoffs this year. Making the playoffs. Just even making it to the playoffs. Raise your hand. Wow. Come on, Locaine. Raise your hand. Wow. Can't do Trail, it. Trey Shohei Otani. And no, and I Trey. love it. Trey Should have traded him. Should have traded him. Love it. Nah, I'm pissed too. Trade both of them. Show there we're going to be watching, the, Put him in gonna be watching the Angels the rest of the season. Trade Angels him. 2024. I'm not happy about it. See you Friday. Big show. Corbin Burns. Kike Hernandez. Writers, insiders, trades, questions, all that. Hey, FT Live fam. If you're new to the party on the BetMGM Sports app, enter the promo code FOUL, F-O-U-L, for up to $1,000 back if your first bet loses. It's simple. Ready? Download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gotta use the bonus code, Foul.